Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Today we'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Please follow along with me in your Bibles or up on the screen. So that's 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting from verse 1. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless." Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks, Karina. Appreciate that. Well read. I'm uh, really enjoying going through the book of Timothy. I hope uh, you are as well. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Todd Hall. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Exchange. So it's a great joy and privilege that we have to gather together and uh, honour Christ and to connect people to Jesus and to grow people in Jesus, as uh, Abby told us that before. Uh, And we count a really important part of being able to do that as we uh, open up God's word this morning and to uh, see his truth come and speak into our hearts and to um, get ourselves uh, living for the glory of God and experiencing his blessing as we do that. Okay, uh, just to set the scene for us as we're working through the first book of Timothy today, uh, what we do today in gathering for the church uh, here now is the most important thing that happens within our local community right now. Did you know that? Did you think about it that way? Now I say that humbly, but it's true. Uh, the church gathering is the most important thing happening today in Shepparton. Not only this gathering, but other uh, biblical churches around Shepparton, Marupna and Tatura as well, and this sort of greater Shepparton era. Uh, these are the most important things that are taking place right now in this greater Shepparton area. Uh, The church is the gathering of God's people seeking to be the light of the gospel in the community where we live. So in God's eyes, the church is super important in the sense of being salt and light in the community 
to bring glory to his name. It's really important we actually grasp and get that. The church is the most important thing taking place. I'm not saying there's no other important things taking place. There's plenty of important things taking place in the community, but this is the most important thing that's taking place. And God thinks this way because he also wants to care for his church so that it maintains this gospel integrity as well as the most important thing within the community. So therefore, one of the things that God does is to put elders in place to lead and care for his church. Abby, uh, not Abby, um, Corinthians just read for us now. Let's pray. Let's pray for this aspect as we come around that passage now that we've just read there from 1 Timothy. Father, we thank you that we can come this morning and we can look at this passage here in 1 Timothy. We thank you, Lord, again uh, for the grace that you've given to us uh, to call us out of darkness and into light. Lord, to call us uh, from death to life and to call us into your kingdom, to call us, Lord, into a church, a gathering of people. Uh, Lord, this is something we're unworthy of, as we sung about before, but Jesus has made us worthy. We don't have to jump through any hoops or hurdles or climb up any ladders to earn or attain. We come because of the free, loving grace of Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to see this morning what you've done in placing uh, order and structures within the church to see it grow healthy and strong. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we step through 1 Timothy, we are looking at establishing uh, good order in the local church. That is why Paul's writing to Timothy. Uh, the church is precious to Jesus, uh, and he desires that the church uh, grow and flourish for the good of all of his people. So um, God does this by putting, to ch- putting together the church. Now we believe here that Ephesus, where Timothy was and Paul's writing to, is no small town. It's probably 250,000 people, the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time, so quite significantly bigger here than even our city of Shepparton. So it's a city that needs to hear the gospel. It's a city that uh, people need to find Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, to discover the truth about Christ and not believe um, the false ideals of this world. Paul had actually spent a few years in Ephesus preaching and teaching. Uh, In many ways, he made Ephesus a bit like a base camp for raising up disciples and to raise up leaders for the churches as well, because lots of churches were spread out to some of the other uh, significant towns that were outside the uh, city of Ephesus as well. Paul now writes to Timothy to establish good order for the church so that it will be a healthy household a healthy family of God. So Paul's writing now to help this uh, fall into place. Last week we looked at the role of males and females within the local church. You can see our kids' church is probably maybe just one week behind us, but we'll probably catch up and leapfrog each other a bit as we go over the next few weeks. This week uh, we want to hear Paul uh, direct Timothy to train and to raise up leaders in the church. And we'll spend most of our time here thinking about elders and then we'll, think, we'll say a few words about deacons as well. So you can see the passage there is talking mainly about elders and deacons. Spend most of the time thinking about elders and just a few words just on deacons only. Here's where we're going to head today as we think about that. Uh, the church, the local church, as Jesus has ordained it, the church needs a plurality of elders. Plurality just means more than one. To lead it into gospel growth and maturity. So the church needs, as God has ordained it, a plurality of elders to lead it into gospel growth and maturity. 
Okay, let's think about uh, how this happened through the book of Acts to sort of understand well, where did elders come from. As we know through the book of Acts, Jesus Christ, uh, his gospel was spread throughout the world as people like Paul and Peter and the other apostles and many other believers who went into cities and countries and they shared the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they went. The Holy Spirit worked through that preaching as the gospel was preached, worked through that preaching and people were saved. Now, in the very first day of the, of the day of Pentecost, the church grew by 3,000 people, so it needed a bit of coordinating, a bit of organising at that particular time. It was never God's idea to rescue and save 3,000 people, as it were, and just to leave them floundering. Well, what next? You know, like, I want to follow Jesus, but how does this look like? That was never God's idea to leave them, as it were, floundering like that, like a fish out of water. It was probably shaped, uh, the way they did things back then, it was probably shaped by the Jewish synagogue style, but this is what Paul and the other apostles would do with these groups of people, these bodies of believers now who've just found Jesus. They would appoint elders to care for the church. Have a look in Acts chapter 14. You'll see there a bit of a uh, summary statement of Luke as he writes Acts. 14 verse 23, And when they had appointed uh, elders for them, so that's elders, not elders, so we're talking about elders in a church. So when they'd appointed elders for them in every church, not some churches, every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is Paul's practice. Uh, as led by the Holy Spirit, going through the Roman Empire, sharing the gospel, Paul is keen to see people follow Jesus, but he also wants them cared for in really what was very much a new religion of that time. Uh, They were a a vulnerable group of people. They were a fledgling community at that particular time. I mean, Jewish religion had been around for a long time and and the Romans had all their multiple gods and all the other idolatries that were around the world at this time. And it really was like a new religion, although it came out of Jewish roots and Jewish foundation. Uh, but they were often in a hostile relationship with the Jewish community because the Jews thought these Christians were actually blaspheming God in saying that Jesus was God. So there was a hostile relationship there with the Jews. And the Roman culture was often perplexed. Well, who is this new group? What are they on about? So when you begin to combine these things, this is a, a fledgling community of believers in Christ. They need to be cared for. They need to be helped. So Paul appointed elders. He searched for mature Christian men to lead the church and to see it grow strong, often in the midst of this adversity that they experienced in the culture of then. In every church, Paul appointed elders as the Holy Spirit's practice to see the gospel grow. That's the foundation there. So now Paul's bringing this teaching to Timothy, again to help him establish good order in the local church. He instructs Timothy now on what it looks like in selecting these elders. How do we appoint these people to lead God's church, to lead it in a healthy way and in a godly way? In verses 2 to 7, Paul lays out this range of character traits here that that are fitting for an elder to have if he is to be selected to take on the leadership of the church. Let's briefly look at some of these traits here as we go through. Verse 2. We haven't got that on up these ones for you, but you've got your Bibles open. Uh, We'll be in between verses 2 and 7, picking out some of these words. Verse 2, husband of one wife. There's been a few different views on this in years gone by. Some say this is just a sort of a statement against polygamy or multiple wives back then, and I can understand, yep, good reason for that. 
Some have said also this is only ever meant to be, uh, this person has been married to one wife. So never divorced or remarried. Is some people believe that. I think that's a fairly thin understanding and only a small number of people believe that. I think what Paul is getting at when he talks about this here is he should only have one wife, not multiple wives, that's for sure, and he's to remain faithful as the husband to her until death do them part. Now, I think what Paul's getting at as he says that also is that he may have been married previously, Because he could have been an unbeliever when he was married and maybe that marriage did end in divorce but now he is a believer and he's remarried and now he's actually a mature, growing uh, disciple in Christ. So I don't think Paul's ruling out here this could be another marriage in that particular case. If it's a second marriage for an elder, that's okay. But an elder should be able to demonstrate here a faithful, godly marriage as an example to the church. First one. Now, just thinking about that too, when we see that as well, we see husband and one wife, Paul's thinking here and saying here that elders are men. And that just really flows on from where we were last week in chapter 2, where men are called to be the Bible teachers in the church and to hold the church authority as well. Uh, Feel free, if you weren't here last week, you can go back to the website and to the YouTube channel and you can watch that talk there. But think about this letter. We're actually sort of going through it slow. We're just picking 13 verses out today. But think about how this letter would have come to the church. It would have come and the elder would stand up or one of the elders would stand up and he would read the letter out as a whole. Now, we think about that, you actually see here it's a natural fit that Paul goes on from talking about the roles of male and female in chapter 2, and there were no chapters back then, but in that passage, that he now begins to talk about, well, how does this role look like for males? So it's a natural flow here that Paul's got to say here, and he's giving his uh, direction to Timothy. Let's move on with these character traits. Uh, an elder must be hospitable. That means he must be a person who can befriend others. He can't be cold or aloof or isolated. He can't sort of live a loner's lifestyle. An elder is someone who's hospitable, someone who can befriend others, someone who can have a friendship and a relationship with others and even have them around for a meal as well. An elder should be in that way, should be able to approachable and sort of you know people-friendly in that sense, not sort of standoffish. An elder mustn't be a drunkard, Paul said. It's okay to drink alcohol. It's not wrong to drink alcohol. It's not sinful to drink alcohol. But if an elder chooses to do that, and some may not do, if an elder chooses to, he must entirely have that under control. Never be drunk. Not even to be tipsy. There's always a fine line with drinking alcohol. I'm, I'm an abstainer myself. But there's always a fine line of when is somebody drunk? I'm not really sure because I've never been there. Fine line. But he's saying there, mustn't be a drunkard. Mustn't be tipsy. Good reason for that too. Because imagine if he was called on to carry out his roles and he was drunk. That's not going to go well for the, the church, is it? Sober-minded and self-control is another one here that Paul lays out for Timothy. That is a person who's fairly level-headed. Got self-control there. Got some discipline in place. He doesn't fluctuate in massive highs and lows emotionally through life. He's able to actually keep a grip on things and not get sort of bowled over and just sort of lose it altogether. So sober-minded and self-control here is a character trait for the leader of the church. Good, solid discipline in his life to carry out these duties here as an elder. 
Here's some other ones that Paul talks about. Uh, Respectable, gentle, not violent, not quarrelsome. An elder is able to be to able to sit down and have a reasonable and rational discussion without looking to have a verbal fight with somebody. So they're not looking for this, you know, I'd rather a fight than a feed is a bit of an old Australian saying. I mean, they're not an angry person, they're not a violent person, they're not a person looking for a fight somewhere. They're able to sit down and rationally and gently and respectably have a discussion and talk through the issues that need to be talked through. The elder doesn't have to win the debate at all costs. If it gets down to the point and you are talking, and sometimes I have had to talk with people and they're very emotional and they're just so strong in their point, I'm saying, okay, that's all right. You don't have to win because you can sense in those sort of discussions this is only just going to get temperature rising higher and higher and it doesn't need to go there on those sorts of discussions. So an elder needs to be able to have that gentleness and not look for that sort of violent reactions. It's, it's okay sometimes to walk away from a conversation that's not going to land, land in a good place. Verses 4 and 5, he's told there he should be able to manage his household well. An elder there should have good control over his family and household. He must be able to order his family, his own family, with love and discipline. Now just a little note here, when you think of household and he manages his own household, don't think mum, dad and two or three or four kids. It's mum, dad and maybe six or seven or eight or nine or ten kids and it could be his mum and dad with them as well and it could be a number of slaves and servants in the household as well. A household back then could be 20 people. So it's not just a family of five living in a three-bedroom home somewhere. So there's a sense that this is quite a significant... You need to be able to order this well. Now, having said that, if we try and bring that a little bit into today's context as well, this doesn't mean that all of his children, order your household well, must be followers of Jesus to qualify as an elder. Sometimes we think about it and say, okay, if it's managing well, shouldn't they all be Christians? Shouldn't they all be followers of Jesus? Think about this, those children become adults and they'll choose their own path for life. If they choose to walk away from Jesus, which is a really sad and bad choice, if they do that, it's not the father's responsibility for what those kids have chosen. So that doesn't exclude an elder because all of his kids aren't following the Lord. He's not responsible for what decision they may make later in life. Now, Paul's comments here, I think, are important because what he's saying that if he can't look after his own household, if he can't, he can't pull that into order with the 15 or 20 people that are possibly there, how will this person ever be able to look after God's household? If he can't just control that where he is the number one person there, Paul says, how will he ever be able to do this in the church? So Paul's here helping Timothy to find these character traits, these things that stand out, that help choose and select a good leader for the church. Verse 6 and 7, not a recent convert, Paul says. This person needs time to mature and grow strong in the gospel, to experience life, to know and understand how Jesus speaks into all seasons of life. We all love life to be just a bed of roses, but we we know life is not a bed of roses, so we need someone who can experience there or has experienced the ups and downs of life. And a recent convert, perhaps if they're fairly young in that way, uh, that will be a challenge for them. 
and particularly also if you put them into a high position of authority without the proper grounding in it as well, Paul said this could go to their head. This could go to the head and they don't know how to control this authority. They actually could exercise it really, really bad and possibly they could be filled with pride and govern God's church in a really, really bad way. Another one Paul says, verse 7, they must be well thought of by outsiders. Well thought of by outsiders. He must have a solid reputation with people outside of the church so that he won't be a, bring a slur to God's name or to God's church around town. Paul's going to say here, if this person is constantly ripping people off around town or he's got some sort of anger management issues around town that he's always just blowing off, Paul's saying, that's not going to go well. It needs to be someone who can exhibit or has already exhibited he's actually well respected around town. Paul's saying that's a really important character trait here as we think about the leadership God wants to appoint uh, for the church. Now you're all thinking, I've missed one. I've missed one character trait. An elder must also be able to teach. I'm going to look at that in just a moment. Here's a summary, though, if we think about these elders' qualifications that Paul puts here for Timothy. It's about gospel character. It's about gospel character. It's about having the Holy Spirit transform you into the character of Jesus. Now, here's a bit of a saying that you might know from real estate. It's sort of location, location, location. That's what they say in real estate. Well, for elders, it's character, 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 shaped in Christ. Character, gospel character is the big thing here for eldership. Just a brief word then about deacons before we move on to some more discussion about elders. Uh, The word deacon there in the Bible carries a meaning of a servant, someone who serves the church. Uh, They have similar character traits here to elders, except they aren't required to teach the church. If you read through that before, you'd see there, there's similar character traits there but they're not required to teach. There's a character thing for these deacons as well. But it seems, as I read this and read some of the commentaries this week, that there's probably a role there with a level of authority that Paul is also talking about here in Ephesus with these particular deacons. Now, as I thought about that, and as I, again, as I read the commentaries, it's not really an easy or natural fit for what we might do here at Exchange Church, perhaps with our board members. We might think, well, are they deacons in in the description of the Bible. I'm not so sure it's an easy crossover looking at some of the um, authority that they had there in the church that we might have today. So, in a sense, the Bible doesn't give us lots of information there about what deacons are. I know some denominations will call certain roles deacons, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I've got no drama, but as we've thought about this ourselves, we're not quickly going to say, well, anybody who sits on the church board, therefore, is a deacon. I just don't think we're given enough detail about what they did in the Bible in that sense. Our board certainly served the church, no question about that, but there's lots of other people that served the church here as well. So just going to say those few brief words on deacons. That's not me saying the position's irrelevant and we don't need that. Uh, Just not quite sure it's an easy crossover, easy fit just to apply the word deacon to this role particularly here. Third aspect we want to think about now as we think about elders and what Paul's talking about here, we want to come back and ask ourselves what are the duties, what are the elders required to do in leading God's church to care for this church and to see it grow healthy and strong? 
Well, you would have seen there in our reading, the ESV there uses the word overseer. You think, I've never come across that word before. Well, in the um, Greek, it's translated as, as overseer. But that word also can mean elder or shepherd or pastor. Same word can be all of those things. They're sort of somewhat similarly interchangeable. And you can see there the same word was used in Acts 14 where Paul appointed elders, not so much overseers, to shepherd or shepherd the church. Now the shepherd is a great image for us as we think about here the duties of an elder because shepherd also is another translation of this word. The image of a shepherd is one who cares for the flock. You're all sheep. Did you know that? You're not dumb like sheep. (laughs) You're all sheep. So an elder or a shepherd nurtures and provides for the church, looks after the church, leads the church to healthy pastures, leads the church to drink good water in the sense of nourishing the church, helping the church to grow strong. The elder, the shepherd also protects the church. They've got a sense what are the threats, what are the dangers that could be coming to the church. This is what the elder shepherd duties look like. Paul actually gives us a really good description here of this. Paul's been with the Ephesians for a number of years. He's left. He's done another missionary journey. And he's coming back past Ephesus again. So he calls the elders of the church. He says, meet me at this certain place. I want to sort of give you one last charge. One last thought before he travels back to Jerusalem. And this is what he says here in Acts chapter 20. We'll just step through some of these verses. Acts chapter 20, uh, 28, Paul's addressing the elders of the Ephesian church. He's called the command. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, and also to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, shepherds, pastors of that flock. To what? To care for the church. To look after the church. To strengthen the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's a costly church. It's not a light task. God purchased this church by his blood. Care for this church, elders. Love this church. And he goes on to verse 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, after he leaves them, he says, fierce wolves will come in among you. He's not talking about literal wolves, but in the sense of sheep and flock. That's the metaphor he's using here. Not sparing the flock. In other words, false teachers are going to come into the church at Ephesus and they're not going to spare the flock. They'll bite and grab anybody they possibly can to sort of build their own following. He says that they'll come from among your own selves. Will men arise speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them? So Paul's charging the elders of the leaders of the church here, beware. Beware of these fierce wolves. Protect the church from these twisted things that will come in. That's what elders do. They've got to be careful. They've got to be guarding and understand what's happening here in the flock. In the church, with the people. Verse 31, 32. Therefore, Paul says, be alert. Be alert. Remembering that for three years, Paul says, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. With what? With tears. Paul wasn't taking this role lightly. He invested his whole being into this. 
I admonished everyone with tears day and night for three years. And now Paul says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance here among all those who are sanctified. Now, that goes on a bit further, but I'd encourage you to go back and read Acts chapter 20. It's just a beautiful picture here of Paul working with the elders at Ephesus to, to care for the church, to love the church. Now, a major part there, particularly in that last verse in verse 32, the word of his grace, a major part of this caring for and nurturing for the church is through the teaching of God's word. Elders need to have an ability to teach the Bible. This is where we are strengthened. This is where we grow by we having our minds transformed and renewed on how we think about life. Now, when I say teach the Bible, I don't think every elder needs to publicly do this up the front like I'm doing that right now. Not every elder can, could do that. But an elder needs at least one to one to be able to carefully articulate or communicate and to teach the Bible as well. Not necessarily publicly, but one to one. Elders need to know their Bibles well. To speak into situations with biblical wisdom and loving sensitivity, filled with God's word in their heart and in their mind. Teaching is a critical function of shepherding the church. That's why we give it lots of time here on Sundays when we gather, to teach God's word. Look at how Paul also communicates this to Titus and also giving Titus a description of elders. He says this in Titus chapter 1 verse 9. He says, an elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word, God's word, as taught. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. It's a vital role in being an elder is to be able to teach God's word, give instruction in sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Well, it's teaching the Bible in its totality. Not just bits and pieces here and there, our favourite passages only, and sort of skip over the rest. Paul says earlier here in the Ephesians, I taught you the whole counsel of God. I did just give you my, you know, sweets and desserts each week. I gave you some of the hard stuff to chew on as well. But we need all of it. Teaching this doctrine here is presenting Jesus each and every week, the one who saves us from our sins. It's presenting Jesus every week who transforms our broken lives from sinful habits and sinful addictions to Christ-honouring lives. It's presenting Jesus every week so that we can think right. So for the myriad of things we're going to face this week coming, we've got the gospel working through our mind and God's spirit working with that to help us make godly decisions and not make foolish decisions. Elders need to teach sound doctrine, but also to rebuke those who contradict or distort the gospel. That's what Paul told Titus. They need to be rebuked. Now, fortunately, I've never had to rebuke anybody if I wouldn't do it publicly, unless I felt it was that serious in nature, but I even, have to, even haven't had to do it um, one-to-one either. Now, it's probably a challenge in this day and age because all of you guys have got access to um, internet and YouTube and a whole range of stuff on there, and I've got no idea what you're watching. Sometimes I think, I wonder what they are watching out there. I don't know. 
But if ever I hear something that I think is not right, uh, Steve and myself as the other, we would think about that and say, we might just go and approach that person and say, hey, we just be very careful to that ministry you're listening to. We wouldn't ever do that lightly. We would do that with great sensitivity. But that's part of the role of elders is to care for the flock, to understand that if someone's saying twisted things, we need to be careful for the people what they're hearing. So teaching the gospel is a critical element here of getting church health that the elders must carry out. Elders also do this. Uh, They are to get down into the trenches of life where it's the hardest and most difficult with people. The shepherd needs to know the sheep and needs to be where the sheep are. Needs to understand where the sheep are hurting. So it's important elders do that. And I can tell you it hurts me when I see others hurting from the pain of their life. There's a sense where you begin to take that on board. When you see those wives who have unsaved husbands, you feel some of the pain that they are feeling and they're going through. When marriages are barely holding together, there's just a fine through that's just keeping this marriage together at the moment. Elders are in there amongst that, trying to care for, love and nurture those people through those really difficult situations. Unsaved children who are causing their parents heartache, elders are there trying to feel that and care for them through those situations. Elders are walking with people as they experience the death and the suffering that we all experience at various levels in this world. And elders called to be there amongst God's people to sit with them through that pain, to hear them in their darkest days of life, in the challenges that they go through, to hear them and to point them to the comfort and the hope that Christ gives us in those dark, dark days. And it's often in these times when it's darkest and it's most bitterest in one sense that Jesus becomes the sweetest thing that we ever have in those tough times and those dark days. It's a privilege. And I consider it a privilege to be able to walk with people through that pain and see just how sweet Jesus becomes. Having said that though, it's a very draining thing when you do that with people. Because the fact is you're not sort of untouched by what they're going through. It's it's very draining in those times and so it should be. Because it's real stuff that people are going through. So church elders are a critical function in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit ordains that we put in place to nurture the flock. But we're also accountable people. I don't sit up here or I don't stand up here today unaccountable. I'm accountable. I'm accountable to make sure that what I'm saying stays true to the Bible. And if I'm not, I need to be called to account. I need to be called to account by you people. Todd, I'm just not sure that's what Paul's telling Timothy there. I'm not untouchable. I'm fallible, very fallible. And ultimately, I'm accountable to Jesus, the true shepherd of the church. All elders will stand before him to give an account of how did you lead the church that I purchased with my blood? Did you lead them into fresh green pastures? Did you steer them away from the wolves? Or did you just feed them your own sort of favourite passages week after week and didn't give them the whole counsel of God? 
So I stand before God with a higher level of judgment upon my life. I'm okay with that because God knows who I am and he equips me to do what I can do and I know I'm never going to be perfect or the, you know, the full bottle. I'll do the best I can with what he's given me. So knowing that, elders must be like this as well. They must be humble. They must be humble. Servant-hearted. Loving. Truthful. Saying things to people that they may not necessarily want to hear, but they need to hear. Risking friendships by doing that. That has to be done by elders to care for and shepherd the church. Must be good listeners. You don't race in with this how to fix it. Listen well. Understand what the people are going through. And ever learning and ever growing ourselves. You can never stop learning as an elder. Keep growing so you know how to speak into people's lives uh, the glorious words of the gospel. What does Paul say here at the outset as he opens up this passage here? I reckon it's really, really important. He says this in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor, he desires a noble task. It's a noble task. It's a massive privilege. It's a good calling. Guess what? We need more elders at Exchange Church. Where are the men who will seek this noble calling? Where are the men who have a growing picture of eternity? Where are the men who love Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit and want to see his church grow strong? Where are the men who love Jesus' church? All too often, men sit back in the shadows and they seem content with seeing the ladies step up and set the pace with serving the church. Where are the men? I'm not sure if you've noticed here what Paul is telling Timothy, but if you look over this last couple of chapters, he's really putting an emphasis on Timothy. Timothy, get the men to step up. What do you say in chapter 2? The men lead, need to lead the church in prayer. Get the men to lift their holy hands in prayer. And the end of chapter 2, he's saying the men need to teach. The men need to be the authority in the church as God has laid that down for us. There's a line of thinking we can see here with Paul in telling Timothy. He's saying, where are the men, Timothy? At the moment, we only have two elders here at Exchange Church, myself and Steve Hickenbotham. We would like four elders sitting in a group on a regular basis. And to have these on a rotational basis, because our elders here in our constitution is they stay for four years and they step off because we want new people coming on all the time and teaching and training more elders to come on board. So we probably need six or more elders 
We want to be training people, men, all the time here to care for God's church. For this church, for exchange church, to keep strong in Christ, we must have a strong gospel-focused eldership. This is not just something, well, Todd Shaw, you're just feathering your own nest because you're getting paid by the church. No, it's about Jesus' church. It's about making it healthy. It's about keeping it strong. I read a book last year with the elders. It was written by Dave Harvey, and he's a specialist in going around churches and dealing with their elderships. And he has this quote here. He says, The quality of your elder plurality, so the, the number of elders, determines the health of your church. So as the eldership goes, so the church goes. If the eldership is weak and unbiblical and sort of soft and just it's all a big joke, well, so the church goes down with that. But if the eldership is loving and gospel-centred and Christ-filled and Holy Spirit-empowered and biblically faithful, so the church goes with that. As the eldership, so the church. That's important. Now, you might be thinking, well, the word elder, does that mean I've got to be older? Like someone mature? Someone maybe in their 50s or 60s, so they've really experienced life? It couldn't possibly be me. We need spiritual, mature men in their 20s and up. I would say less than 20s, probably too young, but if you're into your 20s, you're starting to experience a bit of life and we can teach and train. So if you're in your 20s and up... You're a candidate. Don't think you're too young. Don't think it could possibly couldn't be me. Because we need someone in the next generation who faithfully carried the gospel baton and passed that on. I'm not going to be here forever. I may not even be here next week. I'm not saying that because something's happened, but who knows? No one's guaranteed tomorrow. The next generation's got to be being trained and being brought up to keep the gospel going. So where are the men who'll do this? Where are the men who'll take on the conviction of the gospel and the conviction of the church and say, I want to do that. I love Christ and I love his church. There's a great blessing in this task. Don't think, oh gee, that sounds hard. It's hard, no question about that. But there's tremendous blessing there. Elders serve a great king. A great king. A loving king. Elders serve a king who equips us for this task, who equips us for the difficult days. But also in that comes immense blessing as you're equipped and as you serve in that eldership. There is nothing more rewarding than seeing a church that is people growing in Christ and having their lives transformed, experiencing the peace, the love and the joy of Jesus. There's nothing more rewarding than that. That brings me the greatest joy in seeing people grow in Christ, seeing their maturity grow, seeing them walk through hard days, seeing them get a bigger vision of who Christ is so when they face the next difficult thing, they've got something in their tank. That's rewarding. And it's richly rewarding to play a role in seeing Jesus' church grow strong for the next generation. Because I don't think about all you lovely people sitting here as well, but I think about those lovely kids in the next room. That's the next generation. So as eldership, we are wanting to care for them and see that next generation grow strong. So we need people here that actually can nurture them, support what Hannah's doing in their kids' movement. 
it's about generations coming through as well. Because elders are looking here with an eternal perspective, not just the here and now. Investing into the big, big picture. That's why I say what's happening here today is the most important thing going on in Shepparton right now, along with all the other biblical churches taking place as well. Because we're talking about eternal matters. Not just today matters, not, not what I'm going to have for lunch or what I'm going to do this afternoon. That's, that's okay, but we've got big things that we're working towards. So, where are the men? Where are the men who love Jesus, love the church that he purchased with his blood and are willing to step up to this noble task of being an elder? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather here together this morning. Father, we thank you again uh, for the church that Jesus purchased by his blood. The church that he laid down his life upon that cross with his hands nailed to the cross, his feet nailed to the cross and calling out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Today we are beneficiaries of that glorious act of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Jesus has established his church, his body of people, gathered together. And now he wants to place leaders in the church, elders in the church, to love the church, to guide the church, to nurture the church, to protect the church, even to lay down their lives for the church as well, if required to do so. So God, I pray, please, would you, would you, Holy Spirit, work in the hearts and minds of men right now that they would desire this noble task, that they would see what a glorious privilege it is to help lead Jesus' church. Father, we could think of nothing better than this church to keep growing strong in Christ growing and seeing more people come and know who Christ is and this church also to be strong in its leadership, to be faithful to Christ, faithful to the gospel, filled with your spirit. The next generation and the next generation and the next generation, Lord, with strong leadership, loving leadership, humble leadership. Would you stir hearts today, I pray, Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.